0: what's going on guys welcome back to the podcast hope you all enjoyed that last one and this one coming up i've got anthony cuomo from oregon he used to be a california resident and we go over a couple different things from his archery elk season archery deer season all the way into a rifle hunt and discuss waterfowl as well um anthony's a great guy and really appreciate that he took the time to hang out over the phone and discuss all his success over the year which is pretty crazy so Hope you all enjoy this one. Here we go.
1: Sweet, man. Thanks, Jeff, for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, like Jeff said, my name is Anthony Cuomo. Uh, I am uh, currently an Oregon resident. Um, I was once a Californian, uh, but glad to say I'm not in California anymore. But, you know, uh, given certain circumstances, Oregon's not too much better. But uh, I moved up here probably, shit. I don't know, about a month or a month ago, a year ago. and. Uh, Actually moved up here for a job opportunity and uh, actually worked at Benchmade Knives as product manager for the hunt category and uh, the everyday everyday carry category as well. Um, So I get to work on knives and sharp pointy things. And uh, yeah, I was lucky enough that it brought me up here into Oregon and uh, just been a a wealth of opportunity in the outdoors and uh, especially in hunting
0: yeah that's killer man so so this year you i mean we talked a little bit before this obviously so you said this year was a great opportunity um for archery for you so let's go ahead let's jump in because you ended up tagging out on those are roosevelt right uh, roosevelt bull yeah
1: yeah so well let's back up a little bit so <laughs> believe it or not i traveled back to california this year to hunt archery deer um And I uh, actually went down and hunted with Kyle Sibley uh, for the A-Zone. I think it was, like, second weekend of A-Zone. It was, like, uh, mid-July. And uh, I was able to actually shoot my first buck with my bow down there uh, on day one of the hunt. And then, shoot, man, day two, shot an even bigger buck. Uh, Actually shot a buck that went Pope and Young, which was, like, incredible. But, uh, yeah, man, the season just kind of, like, kicked off. Um, going back to California was kind of interesting, and, like, being able to tag out in California for the first time was was even more interesting, um, especially being an out-of-state resident. Um, you know, it's it, it's interesting, you know, you talk to people and uh, coming from California and hunting it, and knowing what the opportunities are in California, it's pretty interesting. People are like, you went to California? Like, you actually, you went there to go hunt? <laughs> and a lot of people don't really understand the opportunities down there, man. Um, especially when it comes to deer and you know the the seasons are very, I would say liberal and not in the sense of a political way, but like liberal in a sense of like you can start hunting A zone and in, in, you know, July and you can take that all the way to December if you hunt like a AO tag and hunt down in the D zone. So it's pretty incredible and you get two tags down there right and most places you don't get two tags especially in like the western states um so you know it's, i would say as californians man like you you actually get a pretty awesome uh i would say opportunity for deer season
0: how crazy is that though so you move you move out of state you come back you hunt with yep. kyle and you end up tagging out it was, it was two days in a row right
1: yeah. It was, well, it wasn't two days in a row. It was it was three days total. We took a day off, but uh, yeah, first day, I mean, shoot, like, I think literally within, I don't know, probably 30 minutes of being there. I think it was like, eh, maybe like 40 minutes. Um, I ended up uh, getting a shot at a buck and I got really lucky and got a Texas heart shot, but uh buck was on the move and um, I let it rip and, um, you know, we, we did the right thing. We sat down, waited for, I think it was like 35, 40 minutes and Luckily, we, we went right to where I shot and, I mean, literally looked to my left, and within 20 yards, he was, he was down there, and that was just incredible, man. Being able to share that with my buddies, Kyle and Colin, um, is just awesome, and, you know, I met those guys through the old podcast, through Legion, and um, just a friendship that has, has grown over the years, and I've hunted out of state with those guys a few times now in Arizona, Colorado. And, uh, it's awesome to be able to go down there, hunt with them and, and uh, share memories like that. And I think we were actually talking about it, that buck where I shot my buck, I believe Kyle and both Colin had shot their first archery bucks, like, and they died within like 50 yards of each other or something like that. So, uh, just a cool memory to share with those guys. And then, you know, took a day off. And then the next day or, you know, day after that, we went back out and, you know, shot an even bigger buck. Um, which was just incredible, and shot a buck that went Pope and Young, which I had no intentions of doing, and nor have I ever, never needed to score a deer, to be honest, and never even cared about that. But uh, Kyle, you know, made me do it. And uh, (laughs) luckily, uh, yeah, he he broke the score and uh, shot a Pope and Young buck, my second buck I'd ever shot with my bow. So very fortunate and uh, super stoked with that.
0: Hell yeah, that's pretty awesome, dude. I, I remember running and, like, seeing those posts on Instagram, and then I happened to run into you guys at a West Coast archery, dude. I was super juicy yeah. for
1: you. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool, man. Yeah, I got to go up there see those guys and uh, just kind of make some rounds and just say hi to a bunch of people I hadn't seen. So, very cool experience, and uh, just it was good to be back in town.
0: Hell yeah. So, yeah, did a little, I, I don't know, call it a, let's just little waterfowl term let's call it a scotch double you scotch double down here in california and then you went on yep. back up to uh oregon did you start um, yeah you start elk hunting right away or did you uh i don't i don't know what their big game seasons are like i know their water yeah so pretty similar the
1: last ours. yeah so elk season up here for archery um actually opens up the last weekend of august so that last weekend of august you get a couple days and um, and then it goes into September and through September. And um, you know right now, currently, uh, I was actually talking to some people right now. they're they're actually changing the regulations as we speak. But um, currently, in Oregon, you can purchase an OTC archery tag, and it's good for the entire state uh, for the most part. Um, there's a couple controlled units, but for the most part, you can hunt anywhere from, you know, Western Oregon, which is your, you know, your Roosevelt's and you can hunt Cascade Roosevelt's and then all the way out to Eastern Oregon to, uh, to hunt Rocky mountain, uh, bulls as well. So, um, uh, it's cool. Cause you can, you can cover the whole state and you can cover a whole slew of different country. And the country up here is just so vast. Uh, it's so different. Um, it's, it's, you can, you can hunt anything from the coast, which is if you've ever hunted the Oregon coast or just uh, the coast in general, it's just, it's dark, it's nasty, it's wet, it's spiky, it's prickly, it's everything wants to poke you, stab you. Um, and a lot of people don't like hunting the coast to be honest and for good reasons. Um, but, uh, and then you get into the Cascades. It's a little bit more open than the coast and um, you start getting into a uh, different vegetation um, and then you get out East and obviously it's, way different than the coastal areas. It's a little bit more high desertish. It's more like the Sierras. Um, it's, I would say, it's to me, it more feels like home out on the eastern side of uh, Oregon than it does on the west side. The west side is definitely a completely different animal in, in itself. Um, but yeah, man, I, you know, when I moved up here, I, I reached out to some people I knew via Instagram and just you know, I think, you know, the biggest thing I could recommend to anybody is just networking with people. Um, I, I just started reaching out to people, talking to people and just trying to see, you know, how they're going about it. Cause I had never killed a bull before, uh, period rifle or archery going into this year. And, um, uh, I had killed a, a cow with my rifle a few years back in, uh, Montana with Andy. Uh, he had killed a bull that year, but, um, I had, um, uh, you know, I was more than happy to shoot a cow because, you know, I just really cared about the meat and uh, wanted to fill the freezer. So this year, obviously a little bit different. And um, so anyways, back to the story there, I, I, you know, just networked with people, got in contact, wanted to learn a little bit more about it, obviously, and dive into just the world of calling and everything. I mean, you as a waterfowler. Um, you've gotten into elk hunting too. It's, you know, calling is a huge, huge part of it. Um, but there's, there's so much more that goes into it and chasing these guys. Um, they're, you know, a lot of, I know people that call them big, dumb, uh, forest horses or elk, uh, pig of the woods or something, you know, but I, I really have so much respect for these animals, especially after chasing them the last few years with my bow around. Um, I don't know about you. How, what has your experience been like? Um, <clears throat> Dude,
0: uh, archery elk hunting, so, I mean, I've barely, like, hunted California archery-wise. I mean, I'll never draw a California tule elk tag ever is kind of where I'm at right now. But uh, I think that archery elk hunting is an emotional roller coaster because it can, (laughs) dude, it can turn on, like, light switch, and it is is full bore, get ready, set up. They're coming in hot, you know, and I mean, I've only done it two years, but like you said is is there's a big there's a big comparison when it comes to calling too is because i mean you you can talk to them for a while you know and then they just go mute it's the same thing like oh ducks yeah. yeah. is like you know you can call at birds and they can they can circle your spread you know do 12 passes and then leave but yep. <laughs> i call my brother and i call elk we call them timber ninjas just because dude like yeah. they, they come in dead silent or they're coming in you know Guns hot, ready to rock. So
1: yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, so that's the interesting thing, right? So last year I hunted Idaho archery elk, and uh, you know they just weren't talking for us, and it was kind of like a almost like a run and gun situation or spot and stock situation, and it was a game that I learned at the end of that trip. And I, I left there defeated, to be honest, man. I was just like beat up. I couldn't get anything to talk till after it was dark and, you know, you'd go in and you'd, you'd try to sneak up on them and you're never going to beat them at their own game. Um, I came close once, but like, it's just, they their noses are just, you know, they live by their nose and, uh, you're not going to sneak in on a group of 50, 60 elk. You know, you're not going to sneak in on a herd if the wind's not perfect. And, uh, I think that was one thing, just learning, you know, it's just being in the elk woods and learning so much this year, um, living up here and having the opportunity to get into the Elkwoods that are, you know, half an hour to an hour away from my home has, you know, changed everything for me. Um, and when I said that, you know, I've networked with people, reached out to people. Um, I met a guy on Instagram uh, who runs a page. His name's Jonathan Alexander, and he runs a page up here called uh, Kong Valley Collective and uh, i reached out to jonathan and you know just you know started picking his brain a little bit and i was super fortunate for whatever reason i don't know why he, he chose to uh take me along and uh take me under his wing this year but he did so and um you know he you know he asked me if i wanted to go out and you know help him set cameras and uh, just you know study elk and you know i was like shit yeah man i'm always down for doing stuff like that so you know way before season even began, you know, six months before season, we were setting cameras, we were walking through the woods and listening, learning, you know, whatever he had to teach. Um, you know, he's, he's killed a couple of really nice bulls. He killed one bull last year called funky. Who's just an insane, uh, cascade Roosevelt that just the mass on this bull is just incredible. Um, if anybody has seen it, it's just an incredible bull when you see him in person. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just I studied him and you know studied the woods and went out with him over and over and over again and you know we made a game plan for the opener and went out the day before the opener and we uh, you know we had a a wallow that you know we we figured the elk would be in and there was a sign that they were there but nothing like super fresh like they were there that morning but um, we saw some tracks in there and um, Jonathan just told me to trust his game and you know trust trusting him that you know we'll be in the right place at the right time and sure enough Kim opener man we we snuck in we knew where the wind was doing we knew everything that was going on in that in that situation and we just needed to find the elk and man six twenty three was shooting line I believe and uh by 6 30 we had stood two bulls out of their wallow and uh you know I just I wasted absolutely no time and um you know we were hunting bachelor groups not necessarily calling so we're not you know screaming at them trying to get them to come in you know it was more walk in and you're making noise and you can get away with noise out there and your cow calling as you're walking in um just to you know let them know that there's other cows in the area and um yeah man we walked right in on them and stood them up out of their bed and uh i got aggressive and got within a shooting lane and I let one fly and uh, I had to guess a yardage. Actually, my rangefinder was picking up, uh, you know, a bunch of grass because the grass was like four feet tall at that time of the year. And uh, unfortunately I had to guess a yardage and I, I guessed wrong and I, I missed the first shot. I did. I, I had a had a pretty good inclination that I shot under him. um, And he started trotting off and my buddy Jonathan just let out a big nervous grunt, man. And, that bull stopped dead in his tracks and I knew I shot under him and I guessed about 10 yards under. And so I shot or I aimed again and at uh, 55 yards and just settled my pin, and kind of split my pins on him and let it rip again, man. And fricking that was that. Um, and we, uh, so at 6:30, I had blood on the ground and, um, we sat back for probably 30, 40 minutes. We chased some other bulls that were in that area and uh, we tried to get on those, but just didn't happen. But uh, like I said, we waited there and um, shoot probably, you know, 15 minutes after starting again, we just, we followed blood the entire way. He was just gushing blood out. And we followed him for about three quarters of a mile. And there he was, man. It was uh, it was a sight to be seen. You know, my first bull, first archery bull, uh, you know, to get that done first with a bow was was uh pretty incredible and again you know getting to share that moment with your friends and uh putting in all that work and um you know being in the right place at the right time just, just extremely fortunate this year
0: dude yeah that that's pretty awesome now i i just know like tuli elk and rocky mountain elk what would you say like um for like people who don't know the difference between all the, uh, I guess you would classify them as subspecies, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what would be the difference between a Roosevelt and your typical Rocky mountain elk? Cause I think a lot more people are going to see, uh, Rocky mountain elk, you know, if they're in, if they're in Idaho, Montana, Colorado, yeah. Utah, you know, the, these Roosevelt, they seem like very special, kind of like a, uh, I mean, I I heard that their callings a little bit high high pitched, you know. I've been really interested in learning more about them. I've I've been researching a little bit more on Thule elk and Roosevelt elk. Yeah, peak kind of a, like an interest. So so go ahead and give the people kind of like a rundown as to what it, essentially a Roosevelt elk is.
1: Yeah, I'll try to I'll, I'll try to sum it up. Um, but I would say. For layman terms, I'd probably say it's like a blacktail versus a a mule deer, almost, like, in the sense of where they live, you know? Because if you think about where a blacktail, you know, if if you're talking a real, you know, scoring blacktail, like a Boone and Crockett blacktail, it has to be west of the I-5, right? So um, it's the same thing with a a Roosevelt. To be considered a true Roosevelt, it has to be west of the I-5. And then if – from – So in Oregon, if it's east of the I-5 through the Cascades, it's considered a Western, uh, I'm sorry, a Cascade uh, Roosevelt elk. Um, And so it would be like a Western Cascade Roosevelt. And then above, and once you get over that Cascade line, then it goes into Rocky Mountain bulls. So I, you know, layman terms, I'd probably say just in general, just talking about them, I would consider it almost like a blacktail versus mule deer. Kind of the same thing where Blacktails lives on the west of the I-5 and east of the I-5 is technically a mule deer kind of deal. Um, now, as far as, like, calling goes, man, I will have to say, you know, <laughs> you really don't – they're a lot quieter than Rockies from my experience. Uh, I know people that get into, you know, screaming matches with Roosevelt's too. However, from my experience and where we hunt in particular, you really aren't getting a whole lot of vocalization from these particular, uh, their cascade bulls. So, you know, really just not getting a ton of vocalization from them. Um, I honestly didn't hear one bull bugle the entire season, uh, where we hunted. So if that gives you any, um, you know, idea of what these bulls are, you know, talking, you know, I'm not hearing them. They're not bugling. Um, You know, we're, we're, we're working on them, you know, bachelor groups at the beginning of the season. And then as it goes through, you know, we'll start into cow calling, we'll start into bugling, trying to locate them, but I'll be completely honest. I didn't hear that once this season. Um, Now, like I said, there's other people that experience that Um, as far as tones go. I'm not too sure about that. I couldn't. I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't give you a straight answer on that. You need somebody like a Jason Phelps to probably uh, get at you on that one. But um, I will say that these bulls out here, man, they are. They're quiet, and the way they move through the forest is just—it's something else. And uh, the vegetation is completely different as well. So um, you'll hear from a lot of people that your shots on the coast. Coastal area will be within, you know, you're talking 10 to 15 yards, if not closer. So you're really up close and personal with these animals because it's so thick and so dense. You're not seeing them until you're, you know, they're right up on you. Um, so it's it's interesting, man. It's it's uh, it's different. You know, you you go into these areas and you'll be in ferns that are, you know, up to your chest. Um, that's how thick it is. And, um, you just, you know, you're bush brushing the whole time.
0: That's completely sounds, different. That sounds kind of prehistoric looking, you know? Oh, it is.
1: Oh, it is. If I showed you some pictures, man, I, I think I've posted some pictures on Instagram man, where you, it literally, looks like you're in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Jeez. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. It's, it's cool. Um, it's, uh, I, I'm a, I grew up in the Sierra, you know, camping and, uh, backpacking in the Eastern Sierras. And, uh, that's just the type of country I've been used to my whole life. And moving out here has just been a eye opener for, you know, exploring different terrain.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it, man. It sounds pretty good though. Like a lot of fun, you know, get to learn a lot of different land, you know? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, this year has been, it's been a roller coaster of, uh, lessons learned, you know, even Turkey hunting, man. I mean, like, shoot turkey hunting where i went turkey hunting this year um you know it's it's coastal area and you know the turkeys live in this stuff too so it's like you know you're you're hunting them and this you know thick vegetation as well um and it's yeah it's just it's wild man trying to hunt anything in these (laughs) conditions it makes it very difficult compared to uh open areas like sage flats or anything else
0: yeah. I mean, shit, man. Did you, uh, did you end up getting a, a deer tag in Oregon as well or no?
1: Yeah. So that's a really cool opportunity in Oregon. Um, I had a deer tag in my pocket through, uh, archery elk season as well. Um, during that time frame, And, um, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to fill my archery deer tag. Unfortunately, I actually, I had a couple opportunities on some smaller bucks. Um, actually, unfortunately missed, uh, one of the bucks I shot at, um, and then I missed on one other opportunity, but, uh, uh, starting this weekend, you get this cool, there's a really cool opportunity here is that you get to hunt the rut, uh, for blacktails. So Western Oregon, Uh, they open it up from now till, uh, so Saturday season opens up and I think it goes till December 13th in certain areas. Um, so you get this like late season rut hunt, which is really cool. Um, so I'm excited to get out there. We've got some cameras set up and, um, got plenty of does coming in and there's some bucks starting to show up here and there. So excited to, to, uh, go chase after some deer here soon.
0: Dude. Hell yeah. So, so you and I talked, I think it was at the, uh god when was that uh when we went down to a bitter water y- you and i talked yeah. yeah yeah you're you're interested into long range shooting right you're six five creedmoor kind of guy
1: yeah i'm, I'm growing out of that though yeah. yeah i like to i like to shoot um and uh yeah i like i like getting out i like reloading um but uh i'm stepping away from the six five uh starting next year
0: oh nice what are you gonna what are you gonna be shooting
1: uh i think i'm gonna go to a 300 rum to be honest um i've just been you know the six five is great it's a super accurate round but it only goes it only goes so far especially with you know the size of the animals uh that i'm particularly after these days and just you know large mule deer and um, you know, bulls in general, like any Rocky Mountain bull, um, you know, six five, you know, it's just not doing enough. Um, you know, when it's hitting the terminal velocity, it just isn't there, especially anything out past like 300 yards. Um, you know, if you hit it perfect, and I mean perfect, it'll do its job, right? And, um, but you might have to put two or three rounds in for it to do its job. and. Um, nobody likes to see an animal suffer and nobody likes chasing after an animal and, um, just hunting with people that, you know, hunting with bigger rounds, like seven mm or, you know, 300 wind mag, um, and just, you know, seeing the thump and just the immediate, you know, fold of the legs. That's kind of what I'm going after, man. And I, I've kind of, I'll be honest with you. I've lied to myself the last few years about it. And, you know, I've said, Oh no, it works. It works. It works. Um, I've killed plenty of animals with it. Um, but uh, I think it's time that'll step up, and uh, you know it'd be a good gun for you know smaller deer and you know blacktail or small mule deer, perfect gun. But uh, definitely looking to step up and uh, get into a bigger caliber this year, next upcoming year.
0: Oh hell yeah, yeah that makes that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I haven't really, I mean I have a 300 room mag. I've never shot the damn thing, you know. Yeah. But I did a lot of research on ballistics and just yeah. found that if i wanted to go out you know big game hunting in the sense of shooting a nice nice uh rocky mountain elk or a bear or oh something, yeah. you'll you know? be dialed it, yeah it'll whack them yeah so.
1: yeah i mean if you think about it from uh I, i've been i've been doing all this research lately because i've been trying to figure out what firearm i'm gonna either buy or build from the ground up but um you know i cartridge wise I've, I've pretty much settled on the 300 rum 300 prc is a new round too that's pretty impressive uh, but trying to get parts for that and to reload is just like next to impossible at this point so probably steer clear of that but um like a 6.5 you know i push i'll push like out of my barrel uh i shoot a 24 inch barrel uh i shoot a seiko uh fin light too, and i'll shoot that with a 127 grain and i run about 27 like 2750 feet per second um which ain't bad i mean it's it's you know that's a solid push but that's a small bullet right step up to a 300 brum i can shoot a 220 grain bullet at 3300 feet per second out of my barrel so it's just a world of difference, and you know the the uh, the impact that that 220 grain bullet would make versus the 6.5 at let's say 300 400 yards is just night and day. Um, so the terminal velocity there is just uh, the gain there is just you know it can't be matched. So uh, so yeah, that's what I'll be uh, switching over to this year. But yeah, super into long range shooting. Um, I love shooting my rifle and. Uh, i like seeing things drop on the ground when i hit them
0: yeah i mean that's the most ethical way to go about it you know so
1: yeah absolutely
0: that's killer so uh so you went to montana a couple years ago shot a cow um yep so you what i noticed is when you moved to oregon it seemed like there was a it kind of like the switch was on for waterfowl (laughs) yeah so big time man so let me get a little insight onto how that all came together. Cause it seemed like you were, you were heavy into big game and then you moved to Oregon and I'm like, dude, this guy is whacking birds. <laughs> like what happened? Yeah.
1: So I, I was into waterfowl hunting when I was in California, but just opportunity wise down there, it was not as I would say opportunistic. Uh, one would say is, you know, in where I lived, especially in Orange County, like it just, that wasn't like something you could drive an hour. I mean, there was places you could drive an hour and a half away and wait in a sweat line, but that just, I'll be honest with you, the whole public land sweat line thing. I'm not too into that. Um, you know, it's, I love waterfowl hunting. I love the action. Uh, but that whole deal, I just haven't really got into now that be said, I met a gentleman named Kenny Ramirez uh, who I always saw waterfowl hunting on Instagram and once again, networked with him and got to meet him. And, you know, he started taking me out and took me under his wing and uh, he kind of taught me the ropes and um, we hunted up in kind of like the high desert in Southern California. And, um, you know, he, he, was the one that got me hooked on it, man. And uh, he was a member of a club up there at a lake and, I would go out there with him every great once in a while and get out there and, you know, hit some birds. But, you know, like the opportunity just wasn't there to do it all the time. Right. And uh, in Oregon, uh, you know, the opportunity for waterfowl hunting is is here. You know, there's there's tons of birds. There's tons of area. Um, The public land, you can hunt off of the rivers. You can um, you can you know, if you want to find public land to hunt off of and you're down to put in the work, you can easily do that within, you know i could do it within 30 minutes of my house um and then we also have one of the i would say one of the better refuges that i've ever been a been on period um called Savi island and Savi island is just incredible place to hunt um and there's a mix of you know the refuge and then there's a mix of private too so if you have access to private you're you know you're more than welcome to pay for that, or you can put in for draws and they have a period system that you can put in for on the Island and you can draw, you know, certain areas and just happens to be the place I work at, um, at Benchmade, you know, there's a good group of guys that like to waterfowl hunt too. And, um, you know, we all put in together for certain periods and, um, you know, hopefully somebody draws, and, you know, moving up here, I got to put in for that. And I actually, I drew a couple times and then got invited on a few hunts out there on, um, Savvy Island and man, um, I, some of the best hunting I've ever experienced, you know, just like four limits. I, well, actually one day, I think we had eight limits of, uh, all mallards. I think we shot two, two hens. I think my son shot both of those hens. So like, you know, it was like greenhead city, dude. Like you just can't get better than that. But, uh, yeah, man, the bug bit me hard here
0: that's great i just bought a plane ticket i'll see you in a week <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah oh no, absolutely and yeah i mean to that note i mean you know i i moved up here and didn't really have a ton of places to hunt but my son you know he's into hunting he enjoys getting out there you know he's only 11 years old so you know the opportunity for him to hunt is mainly around the waterfowl upland game at this point and um he uh he's not up here a ton. So when he is up here, I want to make sure that we have places to hunt. And I started looking into clubs actually. And, uh, I ended up, there's a, it's the same club that's in California too. A lot of people have heard of it, but it's wilderness unlimited. And, um, I try to keep it a secret up here because it's like an unknown uh, thing up here, but wilderness unlimited is up here as well. And they have some great properties, man. And, uh, they actually have a property on savvy Island and, uh, I am religious about calling every Monday at 11 a.m. to get my re- reservations in for blind number one, and uh, you know, sure enough, man, I get it. I get a good amount of uh, opportunity to hunt out there. So, you know, if I'm not drawing on on the actual refuge, then I get opportunities to go hunt out and uh, you know, on the club. And uh, you yeah, know, we do all right. It's not anything crazy, but you know, this past couple weekends, man, it's been pretty pretty awesome. We shot a couple limits, uh, last weekend and, um, had a couple of good shoots out there so far. So yeah, man, it's been a fun season already. And it's like just begun for me because, you know, I'm more focused on big game up until waterfowl season, uh, begins. So
0: that's, that's awesome though, because I saw, I remember like, uh, you posted in a couple videos or, uh, <clears throat> pictures of, of you and your son down in a uh, Southern California, I believe, And I I think that those opportunities that you have right now, because like you said, when he comes up there, you want to have those opportunities. Exactly. You're getting, you're getting fresh birds, you know, you're able to sit there and work it. So, so he doesn't get discouraged, you know, and you, he can, you can pass on that tradition, which is that's, that's super
1: cool. Well, he's, he's spoiled at this point now. He, uh, last year he got to shoot twice out at Savi. And on the on the refuge, and uh, both days he got to be a part of. Uh, I think one day we had an eight man limit of uh, mallards, and then the second day he shot with us. We had a four man limit of mallards, and he was one of those limits on each of those days. So um, for him, for a you know kid of his age and uh, you know not getting to hunt much and getting to come up here and experience that is like you said you know getting the opportunities to you know shoot have some action and um you know getting to experience a real hunt is is incredible for a kid and keeps the drive alive um and he comes up here actually this weekend and uh, we have a reservation out of the club for sunday and he's like you know that's all he can wait for so
0: that's awesome what uh what's he shooting what do you start out and shoot shooting
1: he shoots a, uh, it's the, uh, I think it's the, it's the 870 Express 20 gauge. That's um, the, I don't want to say it's a, I don't know if it's a youth, but it's just like compact version. Um, so it's a little bit smaller in length and everything. But um, I think for Christmas, I'm going to get him into a uh, Weatherby um, uh, 20 gauge semi. I don't think he's ready for the 12 just yet, uh, but I think that, that 20 semi, would be perfect for him. Price point wise, it's like right in the perfect budget range for him, and uh, nothing too crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if he's shooting, you know, two limits back to back days, then I yeah. mean, I, it sounds like he could walk out there with a four ten pistol and whack them.
1: So, <laughs> wow, well, I wouldn't give him that much. Credit. <laughs> but he does pretty good, man. Uh, it was funny, man. Last year we were uh, we were trying to, you know, the guys I hunt with. One of the guys is in particular. You know, he's he like, they really pride themselves on getting like a green head limit. And, uh, you know, they, we work on calling shots together and, you know, trying to, um, you know, make sure the opportunities are there for greenheads. And last year, Ellis, um, on one of the days, uh, I think it was, so Thanksgiving was the last year shoot that we had like the eight man limit. And then it was like, I forget what part of the year it was, I think it was like in December anyways, we had kind of a slow day I and mean, then it started picking up in the afternoon. Wind started howling. and um, You know, we had one hen fly in and, you know, nobody called the shot. Uh, my son just, you know, we had this hen just float right in on us. And uh, he just pulled up his shotgun and just smacker dude like it was just like it was like one of those moments where you're like god damn it we didn't call the shot but also at the same time like nice shot man yeah, <laughs> uh, that's great That was pretty funny dude so what do you shoot uh
0: well i started with a benelli nova 12 gauge
1: okay yeah. um
0: but right now i'm shooting a beretta a400 extreme unico
1: nice
0: okay dude i i my buddy has an A400 Extreme, and uh, one day we were sitting there in our rice blind and I had my Pinelli Nova in the thing. I mean, you can shoot that thing all day, but it's not you know, yep. it's not all comfortable. But my yeah. my buddy, we swapped guns for one shoot, and I looked at him and I go, I'm gonna go buy the same exact gun because I mean, <laughs> dude, the recoil and in, in the recoil system in it. I think yeah. is far superior. I mean, I've shot M2s, Super Black Eagle 2s. I have yet to shoot yeah. the Black Eagle 3, but, dude, like, if I can go out there and shoot 3-inch number 2s nonstop all day long yeah. and not even have a slight little mark or bruise on my shoulder, that's what I want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And,
0: and that's what it is. But I've been uh, I've been actually interested in picking up, like, a 20-gauge Fronky or um, – I've I mean I want to shoot the Super Black Eagle 3. I've talked to a couple guys that have some problems with them. I don't know if it's a mm. uh, if it's a break-in you, period or what, but
1: You, you don't know. want to shoot one of those, dude. They're too <laughs> nice.
0: I don't yeah, I, well.
1: <laughs> I bought one last year. Um, you know, and I was afraid of that same thing, man. I, you know, I had heard from quite a few people that they had issues with them. A lot of people complain about the uh, point of aim with the SBEs. Um, I talked to, I don't know if you know who Aaron Morris, um, a California resident. He lives up in like, uh, I guess you'd call it Northern California, but, um, Aaron is a huge SBE three guy. And, um, or SBE guy. He had the SBE two and then bought the SBE three. And i talked to him about it. And I got another buddy, um, my buddy Mario that I hunt with quite a bit up here. Uh, he runs final approach, waterfowl. Um, and he shoots an SBE 3. And I'll tell you what, I moved up here and I had an 870 Express. Um, come Black Friday last year, I went into Cabela's and picked up an SBE 3, which was awesome. And that was like a new experience as well, living up here. I was able to walk into Cabela's and walk out with that shotgun uh, within an hour in my possession, which was, you know, being in California, that's unheard of. But, uh, Dude, that shotgun is a workhorse, dude. That shotgun, I wouldn't trade it for any other gun, man. I've shot Brownings, I've shot, I've shot the A400. Uh, my buddy just bought one of the Extremus too, and uh, I do that. SBE3 is a dream, dude. I,
0: I know they're a, they're super light, which is one thing that I'm oh, a big fan yeah. of.
1: yeah. Yeah
0: um you mentioned you mentioned uh browning i'm also very interested to shoot the new uh a5 humpback yeah because i've shot the old school humpback before and i was like okay this thing's pretty sweet so it's kind of got that nostalgia feel you know so i'm i want to shoot one of those but
1: yeah my my buddy's got one of those uh i think it's it's the wicked wing brownings um and he he likes it it's a it's a lot heavier than my gun um He's had a couple. I, I think he had some issues this season, just you know, uh, failure to ejects. But it was really, I think, just because his gun was dirty, to be honest. And since he's cleaned it, he hasn't really had any issues. But um, man, I've run, I, I, I've run so many different rounds out of that SBE three, just you know, from clay shooting to uh, turkey hunting to waterfowl hunting to upland game hunting you know just like uh dove hunting everything i've ran you know everything from two and three quarter dove loads or or clay loads you know just target shitty target rounds from walmart to dove loads to turkey loads to waterfowl man even goose loads and uh you know like bbs and that thing has been bomb proof i can't say enough about that gun
0: Hmm. no i might have to uh, I don't know, rethink this one. But,
1: <laughs> what I say is if what you got works works and it kills things, don't don't change it, man. If it works, it works. Don't change just to change. Uh that's one thing I'll say. But um yeah, I mean, dude, I went from an eight seventy express to that. So it's like it was like going to you know, going from a Toyota pickup truck, you know, like a little twenty two L R pickup truck, my first truck, to, you know, buying like a F three fifty dually diesel or something, you know? I don't know
0: yeah that's pretty killer though yeah I'm, uh, I'm curious too have you have you seen anything have you shot a retay shotgun all these guys are out there shooting retays and i'm very interested I, as to why everybody's on that hype
1: i am wondering the same thing i i honestly no, i haven't shot him. um i last year at, uh shot show i i got to actually shoulder him and feel them. they felt good in hand weight was good um but I have not have yet to shoot one. I know that dude, uh, what they call him, Dr. Duck. I know those guys. Um, they shoot Rute's. But um, I haven't actually ran into anybody in the field that shoots one, to be honest. Everybody up here shoots um, Benelli's. And I'll give you a Benelli story. So um, one of the guys I hunt with out at Savi, um, I wasn't with him that weekend. But uh, last year, he um these guys you know nobody out here that i know has a dog um or did have a dog now i know a couple of people that do but um one of our uh groups of people that we would hunt with you know when the water gets high enough out at sabi you have to either have a dog or you have to have some kind of like a you know a uh, uh, like a kayak or something like that so we would always take like a small kayak out there and um, he last year he went out to go retrieve a duck and he was using his shotgun to kind of like scoot it over and he flipped his kayak and oh, shit. guess what he lost.
0: He lost his brand new super black Eagle.
1: No, it wasn't a oh. black Eagle. Oh. I think it was uh, it was a M what was an M twos or whatever.
0: Probably an M two. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he lost his M two. Um, and you know this is a gun he's had for four or five years, anyway. So he goes back out there, gets permission from uh, the refuge to go back out there, and you know look around with a metal detector uh, while the water was still there and everything. And he was you know chest deep in water, couldn't find it. And then uh, after season closes, um, you know the water at that at that refuge kind of like it just starts to recede once we you know get into the summer. He went back out there. Anyways, like we're talking like five months later and found his shotgun with a metal detector and uh, cleaned it up, and it's good as new, man. Frickin', yeah, just cleaned it up, had to replace a few parts, but nothing crazy, and good as new, still shooting it. So if that says anything about Benelli, just, you know, about their guns and, you know, what you can put them through, I, I, that was like, wow, holy cow. Uh,
0: to, to all the listeners out there, if you're interested in purchasing a well-used A400 Extreme Unico, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> like that's yeah. that's crazy. I mean that that should damn near be an ad for Panelli, you know.
1: Oh, it 100% should, man. It was pretty impressive. I mean, uh, I didn't think he was ever going to recover it. First of all, second of all, I thought maybe when he would recover it, it would just be, you know, completely rusted over and just a rust bucket, but It was in great shape, man. He pulled it out, washed it, cleaned it, you know, did everything he needed to do, serviced it. I think he had to replace the, uh, the, um, the, uh, what did he have to replace? I think he had to replace his choke tube because that got rusted out and, um, his mag tube spring. And that was pretty much it, man.
0: Hmm. On my, uh, on my Benelli Nova, I'm the guy that, like, middle of the season decides, hey, I want to go buy this brand new choke and see how that shoots.
1: How um, did that
0: go? Yeah, it never goes well, ever. <laughs> ever. Um, but, uh, yeah, dude, I put a Carlson, I think it's a Carlson's choke tube in my Nova. And the thing, I mean, I i was like, I cranked it in there, man, and it is seized as can be.
1: Mm. There's no way yeah. it's coming out. So That's a bummer.
0: In my in my A four hundred though, I run I run a pattern master uh, yeah. Anaconda and I think okay. I think that's what it's called. And I religious I mean I, I take care of that gun religiously. Like I'll go hunt and then damn near the same day I'll be sitting there breaking it down, cleaning it, lubing yeah. it.
1: Yeah, I uh, I shoot the I shoot a pattern master out of mine too. What kind of ammo are you shooting these days?
0: Um so for the longest time I was shooting heavy steel from heavy shot. Yeah. Um, at, before that, actually, I was shooting heavy metal, and okay. uh, then I went to heavy steel because I was like, "Ah, it should be about the same thing, you know? It's cheaper, whatever." But yeah. m- my, I'm on a whole new kick of a heavy hammer. I'm a big heavy oh, really? hammer. Fan. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. Hmm.
1: And uh, I've never actually shot that stuff for uh, for duck. I've, I I mean, I shoot their rounds for uh, for turkey and. It, does damn well but never for waterfowl
0: dude i'm a big guy that like um i went out when i got my a400 i went out with a six i think it was five or six boxes um different size shot different brands and i patterned Mm -hmm. i patterned my shotgun with brand new choke in it and i was yeah i was amazed that that gun patterns exceptionally well with three inch bb's as opposed to three inch number twos Hmm.
1: but uh interesting
0: Man, if you shoot heavy hammer and you get dialed in, like it is literally laying the hammer down on these birds. I'm I mean, I'm talking making pillows out of these things.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it waxes. Cool.
1: Them. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't shot any of that stuff. Is it it's uh oh it's steel and the bismuth I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I think it's bismuth, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, it's uh yeah. A, it's uh fifteen percent bismuth up front.
1: Oh yeah. That'll do it. Man,
0: and yeah, I... I was... go ahead.
1: I was shooting uh, Kent Fast Steel two this last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had phenomenal results with it to be completely honest with you. Um, I, it, you know everything I hit with that stuff it was good as dead. and then uh, I shot with my buddy Mario um, and he shoots the same gun, same choke as I do, and he's been shooting. He's a huge fan of the uh, speed shocks uh, that the new speed shock 2 um by federal and so I switched over to that this year I fin- I just finished out a couple more boxes of my Kent fast steel, but um just started shooting this stuff we'll see we'll see how it does
0: dude yeah I I have a buddy who shot Kent for the longest time and then um he actually switched to a I don't know if it's Fiocchi or Fiocchi and I mean he yeah, he lo- yeah, yeah he loves that stuff
1: yeah, a lot of people swear by that. You know, if you actually go hunt in Argentina, you actually have to use Fioke? Really? Yeah. If you go hunt um, like dove down there, you actually have to use Vioki ammunition. It's some like I, I could be wrong. Don't don't quote me, but I'm I'm pretty sure I read about it and seeing that uh, it's like a it's a um, it's a guideline by the country for hunting because it's I guess it's made there if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But yeah Kind of interesting
0: Well I mean You you get to go down there And shoot about 2,000 dove a day And 75 pintails So you might as well right?
1: Yeah And you're not bringing Your own ammo down there
0: Yeah That's So That's one thing Because last year Was my first trip Ever transporting A firearm on a plane Out of San Francisco Mm -hmm. Out of SFO
1: Yeah I bet you that was fun
0: The looks you get Are fucking astounding (laughs) man Oh yeah Yeah But I uh I'm curious because it's like you apparently you can't transport ammo back into California. So I have my buddy up there. I'm like, hey, you know, when we come up this year, we have to stop by Sportsman's Warehouse or Big Five or something, get some ammo. But uh, last year I ended up buying a box of I think it was Heavy X. It's like pure Uh bismuth, tungsten, whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Dude, yeah.
0: that thing ran me. I think it was like fifty four dollars for a box.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: And I was wow. like, I was like, screw it. We're gonna do it big. Like I'm just gonna buy one box, and I didn't even get to shoot it or bring it back into California. So my buddy went and shot it.
1: Oh man, yeah. Good luck getting ammo up here right now, man. It's uh, it's just like everywhere else right now. Really? Oh yeah. You can I mean, shotgun. You know, shotgun ammunition is a little bit different, um, but shoot man try to get anything for a rifle around here forget about it Hmm. places are white out man
0: are they doing um so here in california like when the whole covid thing or whatever happened uh, yeah they were back to the two boxes per caliber per person were they
1: they're they're, yeah they're trying to limit people here you know just because of the like quantities and stuff um somebody was telling me they were at cabela's the other day up here and Um, I've got a Cabela's like, you know, five minutes from my house and, um, I guess they were, um, they were restocking the ammo shells and they had to have security at the ammunition shells, uh, as they were unloading the, you know, um, carts or whatever to, to shelf it because people were just getting out of control. So that's how crazy it's here, you know?
0: Geez, I mean, is it similar with like uh, reloading supplies as well?
1: Yeah, reloading is all of a sudden a big thing again. It reminds me of uh, when I got into reloading, it was the exact same reason. You couldn't get ammo, and this was like, shoot, this was like seven, eight years ago. Um, Because you couldn't buy ammunition. It was everything was sold out where I was in Southern California. And I literally got into reloading just because I didn't want to have to ever deal with, you know, relying on, you know, being able to go into a store and buy ammo uh, for my rifles or pistols or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, it was right before I was getting ready to go to Colorado and Idaho this year. Um, this was like a couple months ago. I went to go buy some Barnes bullets and I couldn't find them anywhere. I found the last box at one of the stores nearby, but, um, it was pretty tough to find. So that gives you any, uh, inclination of what's going on.
0: Yeah. That's pretty wild, man. Jeez. Yeah.
1: Firearms and firearms, hunting and knives, man. It's, uh, and, and bows too, man. Bows are, you know, people are buying bows, hunting's going up everything. So um the industry is flooded with people i was at we were at cabela's the other day trying to buy some decoys and uh just get my buddy set up for duck hunting season he was trying to buy just a you know waterproof jacket and couldn't even get that kind of stuff dude um just people are wiped out and obviously a lot of it has to do with the covid shit with manufacturing being shut down in certain places but still in the same sense you got more people um all of a sudden wanting to hunt
0: did he did he get a did he get a waterproof jacket?
1: He did not. No, they were sold out. Jeez, what size is he? Yeah. Uh he's a large, large XL.
0: Well, if he's interested, I have a Cabela. I mean, it's used. It's a Cabela's uh, four-in-one parka with a removable liner liner inside.
1: I might have to hit you up on that then after we get down here.
0: Yeah, dude, I'm I'm game for that. I uh, yeah, and I mean and. He wouldn't fit in my Sitka jacket. I'm trying to sell one of my Sitka jackets too. Yeah, <laughs> so
1: you running all the Sitka stuff now?
0: Yeah, man. Um, I did have so like I'm a big gear guy. Like I'm yeah, hardcore gear. I love trying new shit out and seeing if it's worth it. Um, like this year I bought a brand new. This was kind of a shame. I I bought the brand new um what is it vortex diamondback HD like they're yep. low they lower in spotting scope and because of the smoke and the fires in Idaho I'd never even used it yeah. <laughs> It was pretty sad I was like well that's great it's gonna collect us now for
1: till next yeah. year that happens
0: but uh yeah dude I I love all the Sitka gear stuff um they stand they stand behind their warranty exceptionally well I did have a hiccup with my waiters which was a bit of a dilemma to try and get them repaired but they um
1: what
0: happened? Uh, they were leaking. Like, if you're familiar with the Sitka Waiters, is that where the boot, which I guess the boot is made by LaCrosse, where the yep. boot meets the neoprene section and the neoprene meets the uh, Gore-Tex, I guess is what it is. Yeah. I think it's Gore-Tex. Um, yeah. They ended up leaking pretty bad. And uh, I guess, like, Sitka wasn't sure if they were going to cover it because they weren't sure if it was their flaw or LaCrosse's flaw or, or what the deal is. But um ended up talking to a couple guys that had the same exact scenario as me. and uh, yeah was pretty sweet about it. They uh, they sent me a brand new or they uh, sent me a shipping package label and uh, all I had to do was pay four dollars for shipping and they replaced both boots and tested everything and cleaned them up for me and sent them on back.
1: That's awesome. That's how it should be, especially with a thousand waiter. Shit, man.
0: Dude, the most comfortable pair of waiters I've ever worn.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Bye. I just, uh, I got a new set of waders this year too. Um, and I haven't tried on the sick of waders and I, I probably shouldn't because I'm sure they're super comfortable, but like my fly fishing waders, I have Sims and, uh, I have the Sims guide waders and those things are freaking unbelievable waders. Like they're great, but they're stock input. And so i sims was making a camo waiter and i was planning on buying that camo waiter and they had them with with boots but then they discontinued that waiter this year so i ended up uh i ended up picking up a uh, set of the rogers uh it was like the two-in-one tough man waiters man those things are pretty sweet do they have a pretty
0: they have that uh that removable liner inside right i, I hear a lot of guys are yeah. running those
1: yeah, and I, I mean the same thing you hear about, you know, uh the same thing with the sick as like leaking at the boots and you know you hear the same thing about these waders too just because they're breathable waders. So, you know, you at, at one point you'll probably experience some kind of a leak, a leak with them, but you know, I had a pair of neoprene cabellas that I had for 5 years and they're great, but they just, you know, they're not comfortable, they're not super warm, and then you get into waders like these and like you said they have the removable liner and it's a da- a down quilted liner that's inside the the waders man and it's just like so comfortable to slip into those things every morning now dude,
0: that's awesome that's that's killer yeah that's like, i'm a
1: gear i'm a gear whore too dude so i know the feeling
0: yeah that's well that's like with the sicko waders you know is like the boot like i mean going into the refuges here and whatnot like you're you're hiking in a little ways, you know. You got a bunch of yep. decoys on your back, and you're hiking out with birds on on your shoulder, hopefully. But uh, dude, like the boot was a big thing. My buddy was running a Frog Togs, which had a removable liner in them, and I snagged those while my Sitco waiters were leaking. And dude, I they were they were warm, they were pretty comfortable, but the boot, dude, just wrecked my lower back.
1: Oh really? Oh or yeah. It just too. Too flexible or what?
0: No, just too flat footed.
1: Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that'll, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I know the boots that are on those, those, uh, Sika waiters, those things are solid, man. They're stout boots. I will say that's the one thing, like on the, uh, on the Tough Man 2 and 1, like the boots are probably not the greatest boots. They're almost, I would say, almost too flimsy for my liking. Um, I might just throw some like stiffer insoles in them and hopefully that helps, but um, but yeah, I mean, same thing here. Like, if you draw to you know the refuge or something, yeah, you're walking you know a mile and a half with a you know, hopefully you're with somebody with a cart so you're not carrying your decoys the whole way, but um, yeah, same thing,
0: yeah. Those refuge carts are uh, they're worth their weight in gold, oh, <laughs> that's dude. for sure, yeah, heck yeah. What uh what kind of calls are you running? What kind of what? Calls.
1: Calls. Um well, I've got oh, what am I running? So I've got a zinc uh greenhead hammer for a, my duck call and then I've got a honestly, I've just got like for my teal widgeon and pintail call, I've just got like a it's like a three-in-one uh is a duck commander or whatever. It's just like super simple, you know, three in one call. And then, um, I've got a couple final approach calls for, uh, for my goose calls. But, uh, I have been looking at that, trying to see about some different calls, but I still got so much work to do on my calling, man. I, there's, yeah, I've got a lot of work to do on my waterfowl call and I can get the basics down and I can, I can get some birds to work, but definitely nowhere near, uh, some of the guys at home.
0: Just got to practice, man. Drive and practice, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> drive, practice, blow my eardrums out, piss my wife off. Oh yeah. I do it all the time.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> like that's when, <laughs> about... go ahead.
1: How about you? What calls are you using?
0: The running a, uh, two Mallard calls, uh, JJ Lairs, um, T1 big bore um mm-hmm. and then a it's a basin calls half pint uh, it's a double reed okay. and then i just got so i run an eight and one wing setter too dude which i don't understand because those things used to be like 8.99 at big five and now they're like 27.99 everybody has them now so but kill a lot of birds on that call more birds yeah. than yeah more birds than than any other call have nice killed a lot of birds on that eight and one but, uh, and then I just got a brand new spec call from Riceland's custom calls. I, I, okay. I ordered that off of a uh, upper duck. If you've, if you've heard the episodes, like I preach upper duck, like no other, because they just have some of the coolest looking calls. And so personally, I think some of the best calls and, uh, dude, I ordered this one. It's called the Mississippi mud. Uh, it's a flat Brown with a flat black band. And, mm-hmm. uh, I was watching, waiting. I was watching the tracking to see when it would show up at my house, and it showed up like two days early. And I stopped by, nice. stopped by on my way back back into the property, and I stopped by the uh, the mailbox. I grabbed it, pulled it out, and right there, walking back to the truck, I ripped a couple calls and just was blown away. And I was like, "This thing is bad to the fucking bone." That's awesome. So,
1: because yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's something I like. Dude, I struggle, I struggle with the feeder call, like, I can, I cannot get that, that is, like, my biggest thing, like, I'm, it's, like, my arch nemesis right now is, like, the feeder call.
0: Dude, I can only, uh, I can only, f- like, feed chuckle really, like, super, super slow, or, yeah, re- or really fast, <laughs> like,
1: yeah i can't do either so um that's like the thing i'm like i am this year like that's the one thing where i'm like i've got to get this nailed down like i've got to figure it out because like when i'm hunting on my own like i'm on my own you know like i've got to figure it out you know decoying and all that and like last year was like a learning experience like no other and uh Like, I'll be honest with you, like, I honestly, going into waterfowl hunting last year, I didn't know a whole lot, and it was, like, starting from scratch, and, like, uh, I didn't know about decoy spreads, I didn't know about, like, you know, different patterns of decoy spreads, different for different, you know, this, that, I didn't know birds landed into decoy spreads into the wind, like, all that stuff was, like foreign to me so like uh when i got up here last year it was like a uh fast track to learning just so much stuff man and luckily i was you know got to hunt with a lot of people that knew a lot about waterfowl hunting and got kind of like a fast track on it
0: that's awesome in in a in oregon can you use electronic decoys
1: nope 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 so you guys uh yeah so i i use uh Uh, what is it called? Uh, the, the guy that owns the company, his name is Eric Strand. Um, it's called the decoy dancer, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, full string, um, uh, Mallard decoy. So, and that thing, that thing actually works really well.
0: Dude, that and a jerk cord. Good to go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah 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 that's pretty much what i use man i use that uh yeah it's decoy dancer it's called like the whip 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 splash uh but yeah i use that and uh you know jerk cord and then a bunch of other uh, decoys and just been learning to you know different spreads and different species and what to use and all that and um uh, when we shoot out at, uh, Savvy, it's, you know, we usually get a pretty good, I would say mixed bag of ducks versus, um, when you actually hunt on the refuge, you, you're, you can pretty much, you know, you can target in on the, on mallards out there.
0: Have you, a uh, one thing that suit my buddies and I, we were going to try and plan a trip. Uh, we'll try to integrate it into our trip in Washington this year. Was sea, uh, duck, sea duck hunting?
1: Oh man, no, I haven't done it yet, but that is on my list of things to do.
0: Dude, I I have a goal in the next like five years to shoot a harlequin, shoot a king eider. Yeah, and I'm I'm really that's what I that's what my my bucket list birds
1: are. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um... I know that guy I was talking to you about, Aaron Moore. He's, like, obsessed with that now. He met a couple guys up here. And I think Oregon, he goes out there. He's been going out, like, every two years now, and uh, he's been getting out there and smashing some sea ducks, man. He's he's all about that now. Like, his, his green heads aren't, you know, he's, you know, everybody chasing green heads, and he's out there chasing sea ducks now. So I guess that's, like, the next level, huh?
0: I don't know, man. It's just super super interesting to me because it's like there's so many different ways you can go about it you know from a skull boat to pretty much sitting on the sand. yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah there's yeah there's so many different ways i got to hunt out of a boat last year for the first time that was pretty cool um you know hunting off of the columbia river down here and that was pretty neat my buddy mario took me out on his he's got like a dedicated duck boat and uh we went out and hunted out of his boat one time last year. That was that was pretty interesting, just like cruising the river looking for little, you know, inlets and, and you know, trying to find some calm water off the side of the river and calling birds off of the side of the river is pretty fun.
0: Yeah, that sounds that's something that I've wanted to do for a while now is do a big uh do a big boat hunt like that. So but boats get uh, yeah. a little expensive. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hunting is uh you know it's not the cheapest sport in the world to get into. You know, you like to say that we hunt for meat and you know for sustainability and all that stuff, but guarantee the meat that we put in the freezer costs eighteen thousand times more than any meat you'd buy at a store. <laughs> yeah, yep.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm just bloodthirsty too, so it's just like yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. Have you killed a Have you killed an elk or a deer yet?
0: No, man. Um, my diet. To be honest, I'm kind of over deer hunting California. I haven't gotten really in depth into it. I don't have spots. Yeah. So I'm kind of like put that on the back burner, whatever. Where do you live? I live uh north of San Francisco in a town called okay. Novato. So
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Dude, you got so much opportunity down there, man. I know. It's you just, just got to put in the work.
0: Yep, and I'm just unfortunately not willing to do that right now. So Yeah. Well, my... if
1: you're not willing to do it, then yeah, that's that's another story.
0: Yeah, I just gotta bite the bullet and suck it up, not bitch moan and complain about it, you know, so Yeah. But uh
1: Well, there's there's plenty of opportunities outside the state, but um man, there's plenty of opportunities within the state too, especially like in the July time frame for archery, man. Just so much opportunity down there.
0: Well that's like uh Dude, my big my bit like my hunting season is Starts in September, and ends at the beginning of February. You know, so it's yep. el- it's elk season, and then it's right into ducks and geese. So, yep. and you gonna hunt?
1: Uh, you gonna go back to Idaho next year? Or are you gonna go somewhere different?
0: Um, we're probably gonna go back to Idaho. We have an extremely good knowledge on the unit that we hunt. Yep. Um, I mean, dude, we're like a hundred plus miles in in two years, so. It's uh, it's rough dude like last year we didn't know our ass from a hole in the ground had no idea what the hell to yeah. do. Our buddy was like, hey, go up this road check it out. And we ended up spotting you know a couple cows and a bull and went to put a stock on there and that didn't work out. And then you know last year was kind of getting our toes wet and then this past season was a uh, we knew what to look for I I mean dude when when I when I click into elk mode, I am on my phone internet scouting probably yep. 30 hours a week. Yeah. And I will not stop until my phone's dead. It's that bad. But, uh, you know, it's, we don't get a lot of opportunity to just be like, Oh yeah, let me just, uh, cruise on out to Idaho for, you know, a week oh, before yeah. the season and then come back, yep. you know, for another two weeks. So,
1: yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough when you go into a place like that and you you go in, essentially you go in blind. So when you do get to put in time into an area, um, yeah, as long as there's out there and you're seeing animals and you're getting opportunities and that's what matters.
0: They were, uh, they were dead silent this year. I think that the wolves had a lot of pressure. I mean, we were finding wolf shit everywhere. Um, yeah, I think that that was a big cause of it. Cause, uh, and, and the weather too, the weather was not in our favor whatsoever. Um, it was very challenging. It was, you know, mid seventies during the day to, you know, mid fifties at night. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a buddy who, um, who moved to Idaho this year from actually he was my neighbor. Um, he got a spark up his ass when we moved up here and, uh, he wanted to get out of California too. And he ended up getting pretty fortunate with his job. He's the, uh, he's the Western big game product manager for, um, first light and uh so he got to move up to idaho this year and yeah he he got the opportunity to hunt up there and man i got to live through his uh through his struggles up there man it's, it's tough hunting in idaho dude um i went there last year we hunted archery out there and we were there for i think what i don't know seven nine days and we had opportunities but um it's tough man it's you know people go out there and they think they're just going to walk into elk and that is not the case and i know this year from his experience where he was at like they're just they just weren't talking um the bulls just weren't weren't talking um you know the predictions this season were supposed to be like some of the best elk hunting that we've ever experienced because of the um you know uh because of where like the full moon and um, new moon started and everything and um, I just, I don't think that ever happened. I don't know. I heard a lot of struggles out there in the Woods this year.
0: Yeah, it was, a uh, like I was talking to a Sean White the other day, um, you know, from a mountain vision yep. and, uh, yep. I was talking to him the other day and we were discussing getting into Idaho, having him come into camp with us next year. And he was like, well, let me know what the dates are. And, and the biggest thing that I look into is I look at the lunar system, I look at the lunar yep. phases. Um, that's gonna on uh, a lot. I mean, this has a lot to do with I think wildlife in general, including waterfowl. Is that when it's a full moon, the likelihood of you being successful for the next few days, you know, leading up or after that full moon, I think there's like a ten day window, you know, five days before and five days yeah. after. I think that it's gonna be extremely tough. <laughs> You know,
1: I think a lot of it, you know, I, I think there's some I think there's some, you know, science behind the moon phase. But honestly, man, from what I see a lot of just in my time in the field and hear from people, a lot of it has to do with temps, man. And, and weather, um, you know, if if it's hot, if it's if there's warm temps and it's just, you know, an abnormally warm year, you're, you're going to see completely different movement you're going to see different you know the vocalization i i feel like is down um you know you're going to be hunting them in deep timber you know um where if it's cold and you know there's weather approaching and you've got storm fronts moving in it gets animals up and moving um i think that's a big thing especially if you can get them into you know if you get some freak snowstorms in that time of the year which you can get in those in those mountain towns too, you know, depending on where you are, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, like shoot, there was free snowstorms down in Colorado this year during archery elk season. So if you can get that kind of stuff in, that's what really, I feel like that's what gets shits fired up.
0: Oh yeah. I dude, I totally agree. Cause last year in Idaho, we had a small little cold front move in and it, uh, dude, it fired them right up. And, um, yeah, that was the first ever time I actually got to, like bugle like get into a big bugle fest with a bull and yeah. he had probably yeah. about seven eight cows and i mean i was fucking right in front of my truck and i ripped a bugle and he turned and looked at me and ripped a bugle back and it was on you know back and forth back and yeah. forth and then he just rounded up his cows and left well
1: yeah yeah so yeah man weather's a big 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 uh big factor in it
0: Yep, yeah. i know that uh going back to Idaho too, is I know their tags are going to jump up in price. I believe, I think I heard it was like $200 more this year.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Everywhere's, you know, everywhere's or every state is starting to influx in price. You know, they can because the out-of-state residents are definitely not turning away from going. That's for sure, man. I mean, everywhere, you know, Idaho sold out pretty early this year, if I'm not mistaken for most of the units. And then, uh, Uh, Montana used to be a, um, their big game, uh, combo used to be an over the counter tag and it would sell out, but like, we're talking like way, way back in, like, we're talking like it would sell out, like as season was kicking off kind of deal. And now it's like, you have to have points to draw that. Hmm. Um, now it's a, it's a draw tag, you know, Colorado still obviously, you know, OTC and we'll see how long that lasts for. Um, and then like I was mentioning earlier, you know, elk here in, uh, Oregon next year will most likely, um, if it continues the path that they're going on, will be a draw for the Eastern part of the state. And then Western cast, you know, anything West of the Cascades will be a OTC tag.
0: Do you have any, uh, any plans for next season?
1: Shit, man. (laughs) I haven't even thought about that yet. I mean, I've thought about it, but. I mean, this year I hunted California, Oregon, Colorado, and Idaho. Um, So I hunted quite a few states this year. Um, I enjoy going out of state, man. I enjoy getting out, exploring new country. Um, I'm sure I'll hunt California again this year um, with those guys. And then uh, with Kyle and Colin. And then
0: I think we're going to
1: try to do a Montana hunt. And then I might try to... Might we're, we're, my buddy Jeff and I, uh, we're talking about doing a caribou hunt, um, whether it be next year or the year after, but going out to Alaska or the Northwest Territories or something like that. So, um, and doing like a rifle caribou hunt.
0: That'd be fucking badass, dude. That'd be awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That'd be, that would be an adventure, man. And that's kind of like, you know, we're, my buddy Jeff and I, you know, we're, we're looking for, you know, time to be spent in the field to share some memories and, you know, get these kind of hunts in now while we can, you know, um, you know, I, this year I hunted with him in Colorado and, um, you know, shot the buck of my life. Uh, you know, never even spotted a buck that big and, you know, got to put down the largest buck I've ever shot to date, um, this year, and then shot a bull the day after that. So it was like, we doubled up in two days, you know, back to back days, we doubled up in Colorado and it was just incredible memories and, you know, it's, you know, we always talk about it and, you know, the antlers and everything, you know, mounts are always on your walls, but, you know, the memories are in your head, you know, and, um, you know, one day those antlers will fade away, but the memories will always still be there.
0: Yeah. I mean, can't eat the antlers, right? So.
1: You can't eat the antlers now, but you can sure, uh, you can dwell on memories and share those with family members, friends and all that stuff. So it's cool man we uh yeah, you know, we've got some bigger plans to try to start you know stretching our legs and getting out a little bit more and we've talked about caribou we've talked about getting out to new zealand um shoot man i'd like to shoot a moose someday and you know got my eyes set on some bigger prizes here shoot
0: shit yeah you just you just shot one stellar buck right that was in the where was that oh in yeah the snow
1: i was that was in colorado man you oh. talk about weather and Talk about weather and how that plays a factor in things, man. That was that was a huge, huge deal. We went there, and it was dry as could be, and dust lying up everywhere. And, um, you know, went out opening day, and we saw some really nice bucks, man. Don't get me wrong, but uh, second day, it dumped. You know, we got, like, a foot and a half of snow in certain areas. And um, that third day, we went out, and it was uh, it was about 10 degrees in the morning, probably a zero degree with, like, the, you know, wind chill. And, uh, we got out there at first light and we just, you know, glass walk, glass walk, 20 yards, you know, just glassing, glassing, just moving really slow. And, um, you know, we were kicking up deer left and right, and, you know, compared to day one, I mean, we were seeing, you know, hundreds of animals versus, you know, 30 or 40 animal, you know, and, uh, shoot, man, just looked off to my left and I thought I saw a boulder <laughs> and, uh, no, it was just a gigantic mule deer and, uh, I, you know, stopped and put my eyes back on him with my glass. And, um, I knew right there, as soon as I put my glass on, I was like, that is a shooter buck and threw my pack on the ground and, you know, grabbed my shooting sticks and got set up. And and it was about a 270 yard shot, man, and drilled him. And then, uh, he would start running off to the opposite, like right over to this like line, and got back on him, got another shot in him. And then, uh, we walked over there to go you know we waited for a few minutes and but we saw him go over the ridge in our in our line of sight and uh, we wanted to get on him soon because last thing i wanted to do was lose this buck and um you know got over to the ridge line looked you know started looking around and sure enough he he actually looked like he we physically saw him go over the ridge but he must have circled back and when we were you know, sitting there watching, we just didn't see him and he must've worked back through the tree line. He literally doubled back and there were some scrapes in there and everything or rubs. And, uh, I think he, that was like his little pocket, you know? So I think he circled back around and went right back to his bed where he wanted to be, where he felt safe. And, uh, he was laying right there and, um, he, you know, he still had his head moving a little bit. So I had to put another round in him. And, uh, and that was when I knew I needed to buy a 300 room also, by the way. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, man, shot him and uh, put him down right there, man. And it was the biggest buck I'd ever ever set my hands on ever in my life, dude. 30 inches wide, 4 by 4 just a dream buck come true, man. I can't thank Jeff enough for, uh, you know, taking me on that hunt with his family and um, inviting me out to, you know, a you know, place where he's hunted and made memories with his family for 15 years, you know.
0: That's awesome, dude.
1: Yeah. And then, shoot. 15 well maybe not 15 but after we took some photos got them, let them sit we continued hunting and 15 minutes after we started walking jeff shot his buck and that was a that was like a whole or no, another whole ordeal of like packing that buck out and then we finally came back and got mine um, but being able to double up and like sharing those memories in the field and then going back this next day and then doing the same exact thing sitting like three feet away from each other we got to shoot two bulls side by side um and my bull died on the other side of the ridge his bull died like right in its tracks and um you know getting to pack out two bulls the next day together was just another you know another memory so it's just like back to back days of just like incredible experiences so
0: dude that's awesome that's one hell of a way to Wrap your season up. <laughs> That's
1: oh, yeah. 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 It's not even over yet. I still have a deer tag in my
0: box. Oh, shit. Yeah. Hell yeah.
1: Yeah. So,
0: well, all right, man. We're about an hour and 20 minutes into this. So,
1: cool. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I didn't bore everybody.
0: Duh, no, dude. Extremely informative. It's always good to hear other people's experiences. And those success yeah. stories are just fucking phenomenal, dude. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's just, you got to get out there and put in the work, man. And I can't, uh, I always say it and everybody I talk to, man, is just, don't be afraid to network with people and don't be afraid to reach out to everybody. What's, you know, what's the worst anybody could say? No. you yeah. know, Cool. We'll move on, you know, and you'll, you know, that's how you meet people in the industry. And, um, you know, whether, and when I say industry, I'm not talking about like people that work in the industry. I'm talking about just like the hunting community and um, you know, just, just reach out to people and, you know, find yourself a mentor and somebody that you can hunt with and whether or not be a mentor, just somebody that you can feed off of, you know, somebody that's positive and, um, you know, you can, you can get out there and hike 20 miles with them. They're not going to complain, you know, and you guys have the same goal in mind every time. Dude. Hell yeah, man. Well,
0: uh, all right, yeah. dude, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, and uh, good luck with your season next year, man, and let me know if you ever want to come up here and do some waterfowl no
0: Oh, I'm always game, dude. I'm always game.
1: So Absolutely. All
0: right, thanks, All right, man.
1: Brother. All right, take it easy. All right, see ya.